Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Hi, my name is Amy Meyer, and I'm going to be reading from Romans 12, 9-21 this morning. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for Joel, who's about to preach. We thank you for the preparation he has put into um, the sermon, and we ask God that you would speak through him this morning. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to listen. God, reveal your character to us, and please show us, Father, um, how you desire us to live. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Amy. Uh, Really appreciate you reading for us this morning and your prayer. In our prayer and communion service this morning, Uh, the time that we gather together uh, to not only celebrate the Lord's Supper, but to pray together and to hear from God's Word. We were able to sing this morning about how deep our Father's love is for us. And in the third verse of that hymn, uh, the line goes like this, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. And so as we have been going through this series on the fruit of the Spirit, that is how God works in individual and corporate Christian life, to help us to grow up, to help us to grow up spiritually, to mature. That song about the Father's love and about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus serves as the foundation for all spiritual maturity. And this is just an important entry point for all of us because when we talk about things like love or joy or peace, 
there are all sorts of ways to define those things. And we talked about that last week when we think about Christian joy. Well, the same is true when we think about Christian peace. While Paul is giving us this mosaic, this uh, shot or uh, broader, beautiful picture of what living and pursuing peace looks like, particularly as a community, it's really important to remember that he is writing this upon the foundation of the peace that we achieve with God because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So peace, Christian peace, that we explore within our community and with our neighbors more broadly begins with true spiritual peace with God. And that is achieved through faith in Jesus Christ and through his redemptive work on our behalf. So the first step for true spiritual maturity from a Christian standpoint is being united to Jesus in faith. That makes you a new creation. It gives you new life. It gives you the freedom to begin to grow up and mature in your faith. It gives you the freedom to pursue what Paul is presenting as a mosaic of peaceful living. And we're going to look at that this morning in two points, inward peace and outward peace. That is, uh, inward peace in verses 9 through 13, uh, how Christians live with one another as part of, let's say, a local church community like Mosaic Silver Spring. But then we're also going to look at outward peace. That is how, as a community, we relate with our neighbors, uh, with our coworkers, with the people around us, anyone we come across or interact with in everyday life, we're to pursue peace with them if they don't like us that much. And we will take a look at that outward peace from verses 14 through 21. So inward peace in verses 9 through 13 and outward peace from verses 14 through 21. So as Paul opens up in verse 9, he says literally, love sincere. Uh, That is, uh, if you were uh, just translating in a literalistic way, just love sincere. And that's how he opens up this section of Christian living and Christians living peaceably. The ESV translates it, let your love be genuine. And goes on in to say, abhor, that is hate, uh, move away from, detest, have uh, this sense of strong, profound dislike for anything that is evil, but hold fast to what is good. And this set of simple commands or direction to us living in Christian community sounds simple enough. Uh, Let's genuinely love one another. This is an echo from the command of Jesus that Christians should be known uh, by their love. And that by uh, loving one another, it serves as a witness, as a testimony, as a way to uh, set apart just who we are and what we believe as Christians. And uh, so you say, okay, love genuinely, I get that. But then Paul goes on and says, abhor what's evil and hold on to the good. And, And that sounds simple. Right. Who's going to argue with the idea that we should hate evil, abhor evil, and we should love the good stuff? I think everyone generally agrees with that. The rub, the challenge for us is 
Who defines evil? Who defines what's good? And how do we know? Because I, I think if we're honest, we have a struggle, a temptation, a proclivity toward uh, categorizing the things that we personally, with our preferences or with the cultural forces that shape us, find to be distasteful. Well, that stuff must be evil. And then the stuff that we really enjoy, that we want in our lives, that we are passionate about, we tend to put it in the best light. This is the good stuff. Let's hold on to that. And then what inevitably happens is we run into conflict because someone may disagree about our personal preferences or about what our cultural moment may say about good and evil. And this is solved for us as Christians because when Paul says to abhor evil and hold on to the good, he's not just saying in accordance with your own personal preference. Rather, what he's calling us to is to so understand who God is, what God has commanded us in his law, and what is resonant with God's character that those things define for us the evil that we should abhor and the good we should hold on to. So for the Christian, we have these pressures pushing in on us to define for ourselves what's evil or good. And we have to resist that or push back against that in pursuit of a broader peace by understanding what is evil in light of God's character, work, and revelation, and what is good in line with the same, and to let that shape what we reject, abhor, push away from, despise, and what we hold on to. Paul then continues to unpack love in a different way, the ways in which we connect with one another. Verse 10, he says, love one another with a brotherly or sisterly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. He's giving a picture of how a family should live together, a family of faith. He's saying, Christians, when we're living together as part of a church community, we should love one another and care for one another just like we're family. And here, I think, Mosaic Silver Spring can be encouraged this has long been deeply woven into our values of people, place, and Christ. This idea that we connect and care for one another, everything from the set-aside time pre-pandemic, uh, this extended welcoming time and connecting with one another, to how our community groups function, to how we think about care, both pastoral care and mercy care, is all shaped around this idea in verse 10 that we are to love each other, and not only love each other, but love each other like family, regardless of uh, where we're from, what accent we carry, uh, what language we speak or know, regardless of our socioeconomic status or educational background or uh, what we may do with our weeks, that stuff doesn't shape whether or not we love one another. Our standing as brothers and sisters in Christ shapes our call, our impulse, our sense of urgency to show care, to show warmth, to extend love. And Mosaic has done that. By and large, as a community, one of the things that we hear again and again and again from whether it's visitors coming into our community or whether it's new members when we interview them is part of what they found in Mosaic Silver Spring is a community that is warm, a community that is open, a community that is welcoming. 
And in that way, we have to fight to hold on to that. We have to preserve that. That's incredible. What Paul says here in terms of living peaceably with one another here at Mosaic Silver Spring, we have lived out for years. And Paul exhorts us and says, don't give up. Don't get tired. Keep at it. Right. Keep pursuing that as a reflection, not just to guard our reputation, but as a reflection of serving the Lord. So that shapes our inward peace with one another. After verse 13, he shifts and he begins to look at this outward peace. And he cues each of us as we read along in verse 14. There's some underlying the way that he puts together the sentences that cues it in the grammar. But it's also just in the audience. So in verse 14, follow along with what he says. So he's been talking about how we care for one another, this brotherly and sisterly affection, uh, living as a family. And then in verse 14, he writes, bless those who persecute you. And here I think it's the sense of uh, people who are outside of our community, whether they're neighbors or people in authority or people in our workplace or schools or whatever. Uh, So maybe not people who are in our community, but people who we come into contact with in everyday life. If they persecute you, bless and do not curse them. And this is a challenging word. It echoes Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount that we are to pray not just for the people we love, not just for our brothers and sisters in real life or our brothers and sisters in faith, but that we're to pray for our enemies. Now that's not easy. But for Paul, part of pursuing peace, as far as we can help it with the world around us, it involves this sense of blessing them, praying for them. What's interesting is in the Old Testament history, this idea of blessing and cursing, those are things, blessing and cursing, that come from God himself. And so here in the language, this idea of blessing those who persecute you is almost saying like, hey, you should advocate with God on their behalf. You should bless them. That is not an easy thing to do. But for Paul, that is part of how Christians are to pursue peace with people around us. In verse 15, he goes on and touches on how we interact with them in everyday life. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now here, it's an important word for us. Because for some of us, one or the other may come easier. For some of us, it may be really easy to rejoice with those who rejoice. We don't mind celebrating. Uh, We can always be happy for others. But then when it comes to that second part, weeping with those who weep, we just don't do lament very well. Now, that could be because we have deep within us the sense of trying to solve every problem. So when someone shows up and they're suffering or they've experienced injustice or they're really hurting, we want to try to fix it for them. And so we try to give explanations. We try to uh, really show them this, this different perspective. And in doing so, we utterly fail to weep with those who are weeping. We don't come alongside them. That is a challenge that Paul calls on us as a community to grow up into. Now, on the other side, maybe we have no problem lamenting with those who are suffering or struggling. 
but uh, we don't like about rejoicing with those, particularly who we don't think deserve to be rejoicing. So that could be out of envy. We really, they, they're getting something that we want. It could be out of a spirit of competitiveness. This area is hyper-competitive. And so when someone else rejoices, it may be because of an accomplishment or a good or some reward that they received. And we think, uh, did they really deserve that? I worked harder for that. I uh, should have gotten X, Y, or Z. And so we find that we get into that competitive mindset. And we're not really experiencing joy alongside them. It's more frustration. It's more of a sense of what did I deserve or maybe a sense of envy. And so uh, that uh, challenges us, this verse and how we live with those around us to uh, really live out, no matter which end of the spectrum we may gravitate toward, to be able to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping. Christians as a community, Mosaic Silver Spring, if you're a part of it, should have a reputation of throwing great parties and being able to celebrate with our neighbors as it's warranted. Uh, Joyful people who can come along and express joy. And at the same time, Mosaic Silver Spring as a community should be known by their willingness to join in a funeral procession. We should be marked by an ability to come alongside those experiencing injustice and weeping with them and seeing the world through their eyes. That sort of ability to throw good parties and to enter into suffering, to rejoice and to weep, those are marks of peaceable living with our neighbors. And those are marks for Paul of Christian and spiritual maturity. And so those are things that we should grow up into, that we should be able to recognize, man, I'm not as good as that as maybe I should be, and that we pursue it, that we practice it, that we grow into it. In verse 18, Paul continues and then explicitly says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And then he goes on to frame up how that looks like living peaceably as much as it depends on you with the reminder that God is still working in our world and God gets the last word. And there's a couple of things that I think are really important in terms of where the rubber meets the road for us. One is that we uh, may feel bad if we can't achieve or arrive at peace. And I think Paul is recognizing there's always limits. Peace and achieving peace both in a community and with the broader world, uh, it's never exclusively dependent upon us. So we are called to faithfulness in pursuing it, but that doesn't mean that we can arrive or force that outcome in and of ourselves. I think in verse 18, that's that helpful caveat. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And I think Paul's recognizing it that sometimes living peaceably depends not just on you or on the Christian community, but also on the world around us. And so he's just framing that reality up. But then as he finishes up in 19 through 21, he's reminding you that ultimately vengeance and justice comes from God it's himself. 
Now, if you have ever gone to a party or a gathering where you run into a couple, uh, the partners may not be equally extroverted or have uh, equal enjoyment at connecting and meeting new people. And uh, here's what that can look like. You may be talking to a couple that's standing side by side, but then as the conversation goes on, whether you hit on a particular topic or whether you just find a connection, one partner steps in front of and almost shoulders out the other partner and uh, begins to almost take over the conversation. So much so where in order to involve the other person, you're trying to like look over their shoulder or, or, or get around to include everyone into the conversation. And uh, what Paul is saying here is that we may have a natural pursuit and inclination toward justice, and it may excite us, and we may want to see it come about, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what Paul is reminding us of in verses 19 through 21 is that uh, we can't and must be careful of shouldering God out of the conversation when we think about justice as if we're so passionate about it, we're so excited about it, or we have particular gifts to work toward it. Well, then, yeah, yeah, God, just kind of stand behind me. I, I got this. Uh, I'm really excited about this. Paul's saying here in 19 through 21, it doesn't work that way. And so that when we pursue peace, it's great to pursue justice, but that must always be done in light of the overarching redemptive work of God himself. And so to be cautious, to be cautious as a Christian community, to not be so passionate about certain justice causes that you lose sight of God's work and God's calling and God's participation in his own story. He's in effect saying, remember, God is still God, and you, Christian, are not. So when you think about justice, pursue it by all means, but don't shoulder God out of that pursuit. Well, this uh, wraps up Paul's mosaic of living peaceably. And what is an important takeaway is to recognize that for Paul, peace and peaceable communities are not just instructions for how Christians should relate to one another and then build walls from everyone else, but that there's a dual component. There's inward peace that's pursued within the family of Christians, but then there's this outward peace with all of our neighbors or anyone we come into contact with with day-to-day -day living. And what drives and informs and instructs and leads us in spiritual maturity when it comes to pursuing peace inwardly and pursuing peace outwardly is the foundational work of Jesus himself. Paul's uh, exhortations here in Romans chapter 12 verses 9 through 21 is laced chock full of references to Jesus's own teaching and Jesus's own life as the model for peaceful living. May we continue to follow in Jesus' footsteps and never tire of pursuing peace. Let's pray together as part of Prayers of the People.